guys are barrels of fun. And then I just went like total like George Brett pine tar. This is section 422. On the Welcome to the Section 422 Podcast. It is Monday, April 27, 2020. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we are going to discuss Ryan Braun and the various possibilities uh, about his 2020 season and his legacy with the Brewers. Basically, we're wondering, what if 2020 is Ryan Braun's last season, not just in Milwaukee, but perhaps in baseball as a whole? It's something that has come up. Uh, in recent months as a possibility. We'll talk about his legacy and uh, how he fits into this 2020 roster, of course, as well. Uh, The Brewers also had a virtual happy hour recently, so we may touch on that. And uh, apparently Christian Yelich has grown a mustache, Will. Uh, It's not drawing rave reviews at this point, but it gives us kind of an idea of of where things are at news-wise. We're kind of in the middle of the non-information period. Hopefully there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but... uh, Hopefully, we're not talking extensively about Christian Yelich's mustache either. <laughs> yeah, that's a big headline. But to be fair, if Christian Yelich were to have grown or started to grow a mustache like in the middle of May of a regular season, that would be pretty newsworthy anyway, though. He would get questions about it. Um, he would. He would get a lot of questions <laughs> about it. I mean, it's Christian Yelich, so whatever he does is going to generate some headlines and some inquiries. I, for one, think it actually looked kind of cool. It's kind of like a throwback. It reminds me of like a 1970s player. It is It is definitely a throwback look. It's not as prestigious as some of the mustaches of that era, though. That, that's, that's my nice way of saying it's, um, it's a little bit thin. Well, context matters. I mean, he's doing this during the quarantine era, so he's not... You got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And also... He's probably a first timer when it comes to the mustache, if I have to guess. So, yeah, yeah, that's what it seems like anyway. So, that's what's going on with the crew right now. I saw some more videos of, of things happening in Jed Jerko's home too. They were doing the uh, the onion volcano on the Hibachi flat top. <laughs> it's always, it always seems like Jed Jerko's house is the most fun house uh, in in Brewers Twitter at this point. He likes he he likes his family time. I mean, no reason not to when you have kids and married, and he's a veteran guy. He's going to make the most out of it. It seems like you know. I mean, he he knows more than a, more than the average big leaguer at this point about what it means to be at home or how valuable that time can be. So it, I find it kind of cool that guys like him and and uh, Josh Lindblom and some other guys who have kids have a spouse and they're just making the most out of it. It stinks. It, kind of sucks not to be playing baseball but it is kind of fun to see the human element to these guys that yeah hey by the way they also have kids they're also doing some fun things and it makes it makes it a little bit more interesting i guess yeah i think the uh, the jerkos versus maybe the leverings would be the the final matchup in the <laughs> uh, brewers quarantine house most fun bracket uh looks like the leverings are having a good time enjoying some time together as well uh but let's let's talk about ryan braun and for a moment, take a step back and, and look at what he's accomplished during his time in Milwaukee. And we've been talking a lot about old brewers, different eras, and uh, most of the all-time leaderboards for the franchise are, are controlled by one of three players. It's either Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, or Ryan Braun in just about every case. And as a brewer, 
Braun is fourth all-time in games played, 1,727 games played as a member of the Brewers. We're not going to get 162 games in 2020 at this point. No matter what Major League Baseball thinks, Will, that's just not going to happen. We're going to get less than that in some form. Um, So his chances of of closing the gap on third place on that list, Jimmy Gantner, uh, are going to take a hit. He's... 74 games behind Gantner on the all-time list. If we have an 81-game season, that means he could not appear in seven games and match Gantner, so I think that's going to be a bit of a stretch. If we get 100 games, you know, maybe he's got a shot at that. But the first thing that caught my eye is just seeing the gap now that he's built up between himself and Robin Yount on the all-time home run list for the franchise. Braun has hit 344 home runs as a Brewer, Robin Yount previously had the record at 251. Uh, before we started recording, I was watching a compilation of uh, some of Braun's biggest home runs as a Brewer. And, of course, among that top five was the home run that he hit to pass Robin Yount uh, several years ago now. As you start to look at his overall body of work, where do you come down on what Braun has accomplished to this point in his career? Is he... A shoe in to be a member of the Brewers Hall of Fame and to have his number retired. I mean, franchise history, it seems like his place is pretty clear. Yeah, I think the biggest question with Brian Braun is what is this guy's legacy uh, in, in Milwaukee for the Brewers? It's probably like the first, the, the first question, the last question that you could have started this with. And the way I see it, I don't know there's any way of going around the fact that he's a top three player for the franchise all time with He's right up there with Paul Molitor, Robin Yon. I think people go Yon Molitor as like a knee-jerk reaction there, but Braun definitely belongs in that group. And when it's all said and done and when he does step away from baseball, whether it's after the 2020 season or they rework the contract and do something different with him for 2021 or whatever the case is, um, you're going to have to take a look back and you're going to say to yourself, he's he's right up there. He's top three. He's on that. And I, I sort of hate this phrase, but he's on that Mount Rushmore for you for Brewers baseball <laughs> players, right? Like um, he's there. I, I don't know who the fourth person probably, maybe Cecil Cooper, but he's the third one. And for me, it's an easy choice. He's synonymous with it. And when the, kind of taking it a different way, it's kind of funny to me that we're talking about a guy from California who played college ball in Miami. And the fact that he's done it for this long in Milwaukee, that's kind of something that people sort of gloss over. But that's, from a from a cultural fit, that's interesting to me. And how that sort of has, we've seen that also happen with now Christian Yelich. And there, there's been other players for sure who have not been Milwaukee natives um, who have made it their home and have enjoyed it. So I don't know like what exactly that means, but I find that part interesting too. And I remember reading that a bunch in 2011, 2012, right around the time where people were starting to starting to notice that, Hey, he's going to be a brewer for a long time. And I think that's when those questions of what his legacy will be or could be started to sort of come to surface a little bit. Um, and then obviously the, the PEDs that, threw a wrench into things for a little while and you can't have this conversation without including that of course but even with that being a big sticking point to it he still gets remembered as a top three player all time for the brewers and i think this the legacy in milwaukee versus the legacy in baseball is where things really 
split, right? For the reasons that you mentioned. If you try and look at Ryan Braun, again, as a brewer, he's third all-time in runs, 1066. He's second all-time in RBIs, 1128. He's third all-time in steals, 215. A 136 WRC plus ranks third all-time if you look at Brewers with a minimum of 1,000 plate appearances. Only Christian Yelich and Prince Fielder have been better all-around offensive players with that metric than Braun has been. And Yelich, it's been you know two years at his peak. Fielder, uh, only you know, healthy seasons really in Milwaukee before he went on to Detroit and later to Texas. So it's easy to see just how important he is to the Brewers. In Milwaukee, I think Braun's PEDs and uh, suspension that followed, like all of that was forgiven pretty quickly. And that's kind of consistent, really, in, in any market. I don't think that's unique to Milwaukee by any stretch of the imagination. I think players who do something wrong are often forgiven by their home fans. And you can get a better sense for how the, the greater baseball community feels about a player when they go on the road. And there are still a lot of ballparks where Ryan Braun is booed heavily walking up to the plate. Yeah, and I think a big reason for that was the cover-up or the attempted cover-up for it initially. And that's really what rubbed a lot of people outside of Milwaukee in a, in a really bad way. Because I'm with you as far as market to market, you're going to be accepted back. You're, people are going to understand whether how long that takes depends on what happens. But more or less, I think for a blanket statement, people are going to understand and move on. And I think even as a whole, the country does that a lot. Or the country the country loves to do that in, in America. People love doing that. It's, it's just what happens. But the times when it doesn't happen usually includes when people are not holding themselves accountable. And sometimes people associate prom with that just because of the, the initial attempt to, to cover things up, to say it didn't happen, to say it was this, to say it was that. And that's really what, what uh, bothered people. And I think in some areas and pockets of the country, particularly rivals uh, of the <laughs> Brewers, Louis, they're, yeah, yeah, they're going to remember that part of it. And they're just not going to have a lot of respect for it. And that's their prerogative. That's, that's understood from their from their point of view as well. I guess my point is is that if he had come clean, if he had apologized right away, if he had taken a different route, I think outside of Milwaukee, he would have been understood or he, he would have been forgiven a lot sooner. And I think if you ask people in other fan bases, even in Chicago or St. Louis, of the Brewers especially, like who's the most feared Brewers hitter that you've seen over the last 20 years, Braun would be right there along with Christian Yelich because at his peak, Ryan Braun won an MVP in 2011. He was the Rookie of the Year in 2007. He's a six-time All-Star. He made five consecutive All-Star teams from 08 to 2012, made another All-Star team in, in 2015. I think the question for him outside of Milwaukee as it pertains to being a Hall of Famer and, and being inducted in Cooperstown someday, I've thought about this one a bit and... I think he just falls short. I think Ryan Braun is one of the best players of his generation, but he's not one of the elite players of his generation. He's just a notch below that. Like he's he's in the the second tier, the 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 best of the guys who don't make it, which is frustrating I think for for a lot of people 
uh, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to maybe disagree and push back a bit on this. And uh, if you contextualize it with something like the Jaws system that Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs put together several years ago, and I, I like that system because it looks at players' peaks and it looks at their entire career and it compares them based on war to the current Hall of Famers at that position. It's a pretty fair way to do it because there are some guys who have amazing peaks and injuries break them down so the career accumulation isn't there. There's other guys who are just great players for a long time and maybe their peak years weren't MVP caliber seasons. And you can get to the Hall of Fame either way. But when I look at Ryan Braun's numbers, he's just below the average Hall of Fame left fielder for his seven-year peak. The average Hall of Fame left fielder over their best seven years is worth 41.7 war. Braun's about three wins below that at 38.6. So the absolute best seven years for him are just below Hall of Fame level. For his career, the average Hall of Famer is a 65-win player. Braun's at 46 for his career. I think it comes down to a couple things. The lost time to the PED suspension certainly worked against him, but that time would have been a couple of war. It wouldn't have been 20. So, you know, it's not like that would have completely changed the the career number. Uh, would have bumped up that peak a little bit, though, potentially having that time. But he also had injuries. I mean, he had the back and the intercostal and the thumb injuries that really, for a multi-year stretch, sapped his power and, and changed the type of player that he was because he just wasn't 100% healthy. Yeah, that's really well put. Because that's that's what you kind of have to say to yourself. It's not just like the PED association. It's just the drop-off as, as well in terms of just the overall production. And a lot of that was because he just wasn't on the field as much from 07. From really, okay, he, he wins the Rookie of the Year in 07, so take that away. But 08 to 2012, this guy was playing every day. And that just wasn't the case since then. The, the, the PED suspension, of course, happens. But then he comes back, and, and like you said, the power just isn't there. And he's still kind of doing other things, though. He's stealing bases. Uh, he, he's adequate in the field. He's getting on base. But just the power isn't there, and I just feel like that was such a huge source of who he was. Uh, when you're talking 30 to 40 home runs in between those two numbers year in, year out for the first part of his career. And then you really just... I think he gets the 30 home runs one year in 2016, but it doesn't really come close to that since. Um, and so, I mean, he just gets up there in age, and he just doesn't have those type of years um, after his age 30 season where it's like, okay, he he's a different player, but he's still near that elite category. He just wasn't. Um, he was still very good, but he just wasn't elite. And so I, 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 I kind of go back and forth with it because – from that 07 to 2012 period, how many players were better than him? That's kind of what I ask myself. Uh, but the flip side of that is that's also not that long of a period to really set aside and place him in a category of Hall of Fame. That's where I stand on it, at least. So uh, if you were to have sort of like a, a season, say, I don't know, it's hard to even put random numbers out there because we don't know how long the 2020 season will be if it if it, if it happens. But say he has something like you know 15 home runs, plays in I don't know 80 percent of the games, whatever it is, uh, just a, a productive season. Put it that way. Uh, do I vote for him for the Hall of Fame? You know, years later when he appears on the ballot, 
probably not, but I think about it for a long time at least, just because from 07 to 2012, and I know that the the PEDs is there, but there aren't there weren't too many players better than him. No, nah, when you look at all time offensive production, or even just from the last 50 years, you can filter it down that way. If you sort by offensive value, so the offensive and defensive components of war on the Fangraphs leaderboards, Ryan Braun's 47th out of 2,039 hitters during that span. So he's, in terms of offensive value, right next to guys like Dwight Evans, Will Clark, Albert Bell, Matt Holliday, Derek Jeter. I think the problem is that defensively, Braun's never really been a, a strength. Early in his no. career, of course, played third base, moved to the outfield, and and that's what drags down that war number so much for him. Like as a hitter, he hits like a Hall of Famer, and that's that's the part that I think is probably the most difficult for people to rectify. Yeah, and it's funny because you're talking about a guy who played shortstop for Miami, and people forget about that. Where he had to, he made a position change. He he went from shortstop to third base. Um, and then went from third base to the outfield with the Brewers, of course. And people know he played third base for the Brewers uh, in that 07 season. But um, I bring that up just because I always felt like he, he wasn't terrible, but he just wasn't very – he just wasn't anything special. And I, I, and I feel like a lot of that gets sort of misremembered or just doesn't get remembered at all that he did make a couple of position switches. And so – I mean, he was 24 by the, by the time he was playing the outfield regularly for the first time. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that, that does make it more difficult to be an elite defender especially, but I think it's okay to want a complete player when you're looking at Hall of Famers. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think this is a case where if the NL had a DH and Ryan Braun had been DHing for half of his career, it might be the kind of thing where that would have helped him build a stronger case for the Hall of Fame. Just not playing defense, which when you think about what Edgar Martinez had to endure to get in is a strange thing to say, but I think that kind of gives us an idea of just how much defense really has dragged down his overall value in those war metrics, which... I think are going to be a lot more important to future voters than they ever were to past voters. That's the other thing too is, you know, the the makeup of the BBWAA, the the voters for the Hall of Fame, that's changing pretty rapidly, and I think that's where the evaluations of Braun are going to come short. So I'm trying to look at it through the lens of how future voters are going to consider him and be as objective about it as possible, and I think he just falls short even though he's given Brewers fans and the organization so many great moments and has been really a common thread in their longest prolonged stretch of success uh, as a franchise. Yeah, that's a great comparison, the Edgar Martinez thing. And and I think you're right with, say if Edgar Martinez played from 07 to 19 instead of the years that he played and just hung it up, I think his, his, it, wouldn't have ta- it wouldn't have taken him as long to gain some steam in the Hall of Fame consideration, just because we're talking about different voting, uh, different voters, a different lens that people vote 
that they look through. So yeah, I could definitely buy that. It's a great comparison. It, it is weird though, man. Right when you think about it, we're talking about the number three. I get, let's put him there. Let's put him like say number three player all time for the Brewers. Doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Right. And he has the longevity. He's going to be about 15 years, has the accolades, MVP, uh, rookie of the year, a runner-up for the MVP, huge part of moments um, that still matter to the franchise as far as historical markers go, especially during that run in 2011. Last couple of years, he's been a productive player on the team. So it's just weird because... He's a guy also who was a, a first-round pick who was everything they thought he would be. I mean, he was the guy that they they picked him. There was some talk back in the day of either him or Troy Tulowitzki, and Tulowitzki, it turned out, was never going to play third base. And so that became a sticking point for the Brewers because they had that hole that seems to never go away for them at third base that they wanted to fill with Ryan Braun eventually. Um, it never happened quite that way, of course, but that, that was the thinking. And it just, when I think about it, it's like he was everything pretty much they wanted him to be, aside from the PED thing, of course, and still he falls short. Like, that's just weird to me. Yeah, no, it's definitely strange because it's, in terms of production, expectations far beyond what you're normally going to get from any player, no matter where you draft them. Um, and you can look at him and say, hey, he, he really is an all-time franchise great. But the other player who kind of comes up as a comp is a guy that we've seen a decent amount of uh, from his time with the Cardinals, You know, Matt Holliday. If you look at Matt Holliday's career numbers compared to Ryan Braun's, they're actually pretty similar. They're both guys that have hit over 300 home runs. They both got well over 1,000 RBIs and 1,000 runs scored. They've played a similar number of games. They both... Uh, have negative defensive value for their careers. They both have sub-20% strikeout rates. They both have flirted with 300 for their career averages. I mean, like, th- those those two players are way more similar than, than I ever realized. And with Matt Holliday, I think some people would say, yeah, but he got to play a good portion of his career in Colorado, which is true. That gave him a little bit of a boost. But um, I think... If you need an objective lens, like if you're a Brewers fan, you listen to this, you're just, this is blasphemy. Ryan Braun's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Think to yourself, is Matt Holliday a Hall of Famer? Because if, if Holliday's a Hall of Famer, then, then Braun's in. More stolen bases, uh, more home runs for his career, and he's done it in fewer games as well. But I think that's exactly the type of, of player we're looking at. Guys who had amazing peaks, who were really close, and were just missing that one thing that would get them into cooperstown yeah that's a great way to, to look at it too because i feel like if a brewer like if ryan braun were to have gotten say traded or whatever like say three years ago four years ago are people feeling that strongly about him Pro- probably but but maybe there's a little bit of a percentage that goes away just because he's not a lifelong brewer brewer and i feel like that sort of thing like because i feel like there's it's such a rarity to see a guy spend his whole career with one team Sometimes, like, there's a, I don't know the right word, but there's just, like, this feeling of sort of romanticizing that guy's career a little bit too much um, just because you kind of just see it from the beginning to the end and there's, like, that linear way to it that just makes it easy to kind of look at it, understand it, and maybe even overrate it to a certain extent because 
you know, Holiday played for a bunch of teams, and you know, maybe if he stayed his whole career with the Rockies, I think maybe some some people would um, feel differently just about his career. But he spent some time with the Cardinals, bounced around a little bit after that. Um, another player that player that kind of comes to mind in the division, just with, with well, used to be in the division at least with the Astros, with Lance Berkman, a guy with another sort of career like that. Um, the numbers are there in line with those two guys from a career totals comparison but you don't think of either of those two guys as hall of famers no not quite and uh just thinking about some of the other players around the league right now who are in the later stages of their career and they've, they've stayed in one place the entire time uh, one of the names that popped into my head right away is joey Votto. you know joey Votto is uh, an icon in, in reds history and you think about him as one of the most feared hitters we've seen in the NL over the better part of the past decade. And then you look at something like the Joe Posnanski Baseball 100, which is outstanding, by the way. I, I, I saved that as something to uh, read very gradually over time. I wasn't reading it every day as he was releasing uh, new players on that list going all the way back to December. And you know you don't see Votto on that list. You don't see Braun on that list. You don't see Berkman on that list. You don't um, you don't see Matt Holliday on that list either. And that's another sort of thing where it's it's not a perfect test for a Hall of Famer. There are Hall of Famers who didn't make that list, of course. But it's another way to look at a, a big list of great players all time and not see Braun included. Yeah, and. Votto is another good player, another great example of something that I was kind of looking for as far as a guy who plays his, his whole career with one team. And yeah, I mean, if he drifted away and went to a couple of different spots, again, maybe, you know, maybe he's not drafted in 2020 fantasy, fantasy drafts with that same sort of sense of hope that, you know, he's going to be the Joey Votto from three or four years ago, just because you sort of just put it in your mind. Okay, he's moved on. I can move on. But I don't know. There's just something about that. It's hard for me to describe and put into words, but I just feel like there's a feeling there um, that just it's kind of hard to move on from who they were because it's just so easy to to envision it. They're wearing the same uniform, they're playing in the same park. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you vote for Joey Votto for the Hall of Fame in, in you know ten years or so? I don't know. Um, oh, there's a bunch of great players from different eras that even dominated that era that that don't make it don't make it into the hall of fame for for whatever reason because there isn't always a good yes or no because these things are just there's so many things weighed a guy that comes to mind for instance is is dave parker um a guy who spent some time in milwaukee you know, I mean, he was the guy. I felt like if you if you if you look at the numbers and you place his career, who was better than him? Like in that in the in that stretch from like nineteen seventy five, or maybe that's a little bit too early, but late seventies to early eighties. I mean, that guy just went out, put up numbers after numbers, and then he sort of did it again for another st- late stretch in his career, and yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know what that guy could have done better, you know, um, but he's not there. And that's a guy who's associated with his era as being one of the best. So I could see it now that I think about it a little bit more and you bring up the baseball 100 that the athletic published and you just start to see like you could be very, very, very good, but still not be good enough. Yeah, that's the the amazing thing about the Hall of Fame and, and 
I hope this didn't take a, a totally negative turn. I think we are definitely looking at Braun, as you said, as a Mount Rushmore player for the Brewers, without a doubt. And I think in light of the um, the pitching piece that you wrote up recently, looking back at the best pitching seasons in Brewers history, there's not a pitcher on that Mount Rushmore. There just there isn't. It's it's three hitters and and Uke, <laughs> Uke with a microphone carved in to the side of the mountain. Like that's that's the way that has to be. Yeah, I mean, and then even after that, you probably put like Bud Selig there. I mean, just <laughs> just for like historical perspective. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess Cooper becomes that guy if you want to go just strictly players. I guess Cooper would probably be my pick. But and then right after that is Prince Fielder. And you're talking about guys that, yeah, they were awesome. But, again, not Hall of Famers. And didn't really spend. I mean, they spent a good portion of their career, but it, it's not that sort of Mr. Brewer type of career. Right. And, and that's that's where, again, I think we do get that little extra bit of, of nostalgia, that extra feeling with players who do that. Um, and for what it's worth, you, you kind of asked in passing, Joey Votto, is he someone deserving of votes for the Hall of Fame someday? I, I think his case is stronger than Braun's based on the same relative metrics I was talking about before. Um, you know, looking at the, the Jaws scores and the seven-year peak and the overall body of work for his career. And this is a player who never had the same level of power that Ryan Braun did was a machine, though, at getting on base. He led the league in OBP uh, five different times. Uh, For some traditionalists out there, they're frustrated by that. They would say, well, you should have hit more home runs. He was too passive. But you talk about one of the guys who was maybe the toughest out in the league for some of those years. that's, That's something. That's definitely something. And I think the other thing about Votto that stands out a bit, like Braun, he won an MVP, won his back in 2010. Unlike Braun... Joey Votto also won a gold glove back in 2011, too. So even though he plays first base, you know, defensively, there was some value added on that side. I think that also uh, gives Votto a nudge. And I think, relatively speaking, Votto was also healthier. He had one year in 2014 where he's limited to just 62 games. But he's had a lot of 145-plus seasons throughout his career. Even played a full 162 back in 2013. Yeah, I think I'm going to... um replay this episode in a few years maybe i'll have a vote and um i'll remember to vote for Votto after the case that you made derek toughest out of his time i I like that i think that's true though um yeah i was kind of thinking without i kind of threw that out there without looking at his numbers but now that you say it i mean uh well he probably has close like a 430 on base percentage for his career that's uh pretty unheard of so i think he's a he's a different set of skill set but it's just that outlier that he's he's different and and he has skills that are going to be hard for people to rectify when the time comes um and to place in a category because they're so different um but yeah he has a strong case for sure and and, and a stronger case than braun yeah i would have to look at the list of first basemen in the hall of fame but you would think that for for vado who has 284 career home runs that's going to be light compared to other players at the position but that's not that's not why he's getting in like he's he would get in for different reasons 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was alluding to is that, you know, you're going to and like you mentioned earlier, though, you're, you're talking about a different you're going to be talking about a different generation of voters for the most part, too. And hopefully that's in a good way. And and because there's much more information and people are, are using information a lot better, uh, smarter ways. So you would you would just think that that would be analyzed in the proper context with um the right amount of research into it and just placing him in the right category of being just like this anomaly in a good way. So the other part of all of this with Braun is just that the 2020 season is the final year of the second contract extension that he signed with the Brewers. There is a $15 million team option for 2021. There's a $4 million buyout. And it's just not the kind of option that David Stearns is going to pick up. Um, I don't think that means it's impossible that we would see Braun come back in 2021, but I think for a few years, it's been kind of clear that the contract will end in 2020. They'll pay the buyout, and if Braun stays, because they negotiated you know, a one-year deal for a lot less than that team option, and that would probably push him even further into a part-time role, which as we look at 2020, we talked about this a bit last week. If the NL has to use the DH in 2020 because of the Arizona plan, or they just choose to do it anyway as a way to maybe protect pitchers a little bit uh, because they have expanded rosters available. There's any number of reasons why that could happen. Braun's the guy whose playing time probably jumps up the most. And there's other guys who would benefit from that too because of the way we would expect the Brewers to mix and match and give guys occasional days off. But uh, it's also kind of interesting that his final season in Milwaukee potentially is one where he's already sliding away from that everyday role. Yeah, and so like when you project it even further and, and you say, okay, maybe 2021 would be the year, it's hard to come up with reasons for, I don't, I don't like, even from his perspective of like why you would do this. Yeah, there, they are, there may be that incentive to win a World Series for sure um, and, and to be have that part of your legacy be the first, be on the team that, first team for the Brewers to do that. Um, and I think any team with uh, Christian Yelich is a perennial playoff team at this point. So that puts you in the hunt. And the Brewers have a pretty solid team to to build upon. And so if you want to be a, a smaller part of that, then I can kind of see that. But beyond that, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was talking about retirement just this January. And I don't think you talk in those terms unless you're seriously considering it. And he understands the position that he's in and everybody does with the, on the Brewers. And so it's hard for me to look at 2020 as anything other than it most likely being the end for Braun. And a lot of that too is just, you kind of saw that with um, the way the Christian Yelich press conference was handled afterward with the comments that Braun made of sort of passing the torch when, you know, in reality, people sort of saw that torch past say by the end of 2018 for that matter but um i just feel like he's at a place where he has reflected a lot on what he's done and what his career is and he may be ready to move on just also with the the um addition that he's expecting to his family with having a, a baby this year i believe it's in may that he's expecting so yeah i mean you're uh, he's at that age right um Getting, getting there where it makes sense for him. And we talked about just he hasn't been the same player for a while, too. And so to move even to a lesser role, 
um, beyond this year. I just don't see what what the what the point is. No, I could, I could just see that being an, an easier decision than most for him to make, just based on the way things have have played out. But again, I think we're talking about a guy whose legacy as a hitter has included a Hall of Fame resume. But I wonder how much uh, his lack of of defensive value is going to hurt him uh, years down the road. Uh, plenty of great moments, of course, in a Brewers uniform too, as you'd expect for a player with that much talent who's been here for his entire career. You can find Will on Twitter, at Will Salmon. You can find me, at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get that at theathletic.com slash 422 to get 40% off. If you want to check us out with a free 90-day trial, go to theathletic.com slash free 90 days. We want to say thank you to all of our subscribers out there who are supporting us uh, through these times, and thank you for all of you for listening. If you're enjoying this pod and or listening on Apple Podcasts or any platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast. If you could take a moment to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.